Hey everybody, you're listening to the Clearer Thinking Podcast from Grace Valley Church in Dundas. I'm your host, Paul Vandenbrink, the lead pastor of Grace Valley Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, everybody. Um, thanks for listening once again. You know, I was thinking, um, I really appreciate that those of you who are listening to this podcast, I mean, there are thousands of podcasts out there, some of them by very uh, famous people. Plus, there's all kinds of other ways you could be spending your time, but you choose to at least spend a few minutes listening to this podcast, and I really, really do appreciate it. Uh, that being said, I do want to let you know that uh, we're going to take a couple of weeks off uh, from the Clearer Thinking podcast, just a couple of weeks over Christmas time, uh, and we'll be back at it again in January. So, uh, feel free to subscribe so that you know when it uh, when it hits your feed. Uh, but I hope and pray that everybody listening has a fantastic uh, Christmas and New Year's. Um, and I look forward to connecting with you again in 2022. Or no, 2021. There we go. <laughs> I was jumping a year. Um, 2021, that's when we'll be back. Anyway, what I thought I'd do... Uh, today is spend some time this week just drilling down a little deeper in a very interesting aspect of the story we studied uh, on Sunday about Jonah. Uh, Some of you maybe want me to talk about the miracle, you know, Jonah being swallowed by this big fish. Did it really happen, you wonder? Uh, And that's fair. Uh, I mean, I remember talking to a neighbor about this a while ago. Uh, She did not think that it happened. In fact, she told me about how she used to teach Sunday school in her Anglican church back in the 1970s. She's in her 90s now. And she said that when she taught Sunday school in the, in the 70s, she was utterly appalled that she was expected to teach this story as factually true. She could not believe it. How in the world, she thought, how in the world could anyone take this story literally? And uh, I don't think it's actually that hard to believe in the historicity of these events. And I'll just give you three quick reasons before we move on to the main point of the podcast. First of all, Jonah was a real person. You know, I said on Sunday, he's mentioned in 2 Kings, and it would be pretty weird to make up a myth like this about a real guy. Second of all, it's crazy, I know, but it is actually entirely possible. Crazy stuff happens sometimes. Let me just give you one example. And you can Google any number of examples. Uh, make sure that you verify <laughs> that the story is true. But I did verify that this story is true. Listen to this. In 2015, a six-foot-tall man actually snuck into the wheel well of a 747 plane and flew from Johannesburg, South Africa to London, England in that wheel well. So he was 38,000 feet in the air, traveling at 600 miles an hour for 11 hours, and he survived. And apparently when he was arrested, because he was arrested, his core body temperature had fallen to 79 degrees Fahrenheit. And we don't actually know of anyone else whose body temperature has dropped that much and yet survived. Typically, anything below... 85 degrees is fatal. So here's a story that was impossible, and yet it happened. Crazy stuff happens. Uh, But the most important reason 
that we can believe it's true is simply this. Jesus himself thought it was true. He says so in Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 1 to 4. He talks about the sign of Jonah. This is no small thing. He's talking about the resurrection and some Pharisees ask him for a sign that it's actually going to happen and that it's true. And Jesus tells them that the only sign he's going to give them is a sign like Jonah. Well, what's the sign? The fish spit Jonah out, right? So Jesus is saying, you'll know it's true when the grave spits me out. A man can't live in a fish for three days. Everybody knows that. And he can do it no more than a man can be in the grave for three days. It's a miracle. Both are miracles. And that's Jesus' point. So did it happen? No doubt it happened. Jesus thought so. And nothing is impossible with God, right? So there you go. What I really want to talk about, though, is this change of fear that the sailors underwent in the story. Now, we talked about it on Sunday, too. In the story, the sailors are freaking out right because of the storm. Uh, They thought they were all going to die, and they cry out to God. Uh, And really, they cry out to Jonah as well. Uh, They say, tell us what to do to stop the storm. Tell us what to do to stop your God. That's what they're saying. We'll do anything. Now, I do harp on this all the time, I know, but remember, we have a religious impulse, so it's in us, and the way it comes out of us often is that we try to manipulate God. We try to bargain with God. We say, what do you want me to do? I'll do anything. Just tell me. I'll do it if you will save me. Just get me out of this mess. I will toss this guy if that's what it takes. Just calm the sea. And what I'd like to show you, though, is the paradox of this. Now, I got this from Tim Keller. No surprise there. It is so insightful. This is what he says. He says that's what's so paradoxical, so paradoxical about saying, I'll do anything, is that the very statement proves you won't actually do it. <laughs> what, do I, what do I mean by that? Think of this. Think about this. Okay. The one thing God wants from us is to love him without any ifs. If you say to God, I'll do anything if you do X, then the one thing you won't do is love him without any ifs. You're still requiring him to fulfill terms that you've set. The relationship is still conditional, you see. In fact, The relationship is completely upside down because you're trying to stay in the driver's seat of the relationship. What God wants from us is a relationship that is unconditional, in which there are no ifs. You can't, look, we can't go to God and say, I'll worship you if your view of sexuality lines up with mine. Or I'll worship you if you don't demand complete authority over my money. Or I'll worship you if I can maintain my political beliefs. Or I'll worship you if I can date whoever I choose. That's us putting conditions on God. And as long as you have an if, you are not really coming to God. At least not the way he calls you to. Not the way he requires you to. But there are other ifs too, okay? Those ones I just mentioned, those are negative ifs. Don't cross my desire, at least in this area, God, or I'm out. There's also these positive ifs, right? 
And sometimes those can actually be more dangerous. We may say to God, I'll worship you if you heal my disease. Or I'll worship you if you deal with my family member's mental illness. Or I'll worship you if you make this person like me. (laughs) Or I'll worship you if you save me from my addiction or my financial crisis or my broken marriage. Now, the reason this can be more dangerous is because it's not always so obvious that someone's doing it. There are people in the church who are doing this all the time. Did you notice that in this story, it mentions fear a lot? It talks about fear in verse 5, in verse 10, in verse 16. This is of Jonah chapter 1, by the way. The religion of the soldiers, or of the sailors, sorry, starts out based on fear. They're always afraid of doing the right thing for God in order to get what they want. And in the church, the truth is, there's people doing that all the time. They think, if I go to church... If I read my Bible, if I volunteer, if I give money, if I do these things, then God will rescue me. God will take care of me. They don't do that consciously or deliberately, at least not the vast majority of the time. They don't sort of blatantly pray, Lord, I've been a faithful follower of you for a long time, so I think you should give me this one. But it's a fear-based faith. All along, they've been serving God, doing what he wants them to do, based on fear. Because if they don't, well, then they can't be sure that he'll give them what they want. And it's not until something happens, like the storm that the sailors face, that it kind of comes to the surface. When life is upset, when they get angry, when they face a significant trial, then they're surprised, or sometimes even offended, that this would happen to them. After all, they've been doing things right. They've been following the rules. They've been keeping their end of the bargain. And it looks to them like God is not keeping his. And this can lead to anger and bitterness and resentment. And sometimes it's explosive and really out there. But from what I can tell, most of the time, It just smolders under the surface in people. And what's most scary about this is that people with a fear-based religion are sitting right alongside people with a love-based religion in church pews all the time. And you can't really tell the difference. Bob and Doug are sitting beside each other in church Bob's relationship with God is based on fear. Doug's is based on love. And they're both singing. They're both listening to the sermon. They're both giving when the offering plate comes around, both bowing in prayer during the prayers. But they're doing all these things for a very different reason, see? And that's what makes it so scary because people can be fooling themselves into thinking they have a true loving relationship, unconditional relationship with God when they actually don't because they're simply looking at their behaviors and making sure that their behaviors express what they should. But the motivation behind it is all wrong. How do we know the difference? How can you tell that your relationship with God is based on love, not fear. Go back to the sailors in the story. 
after Jonah sacrifices himself to save their skin, what do they do? It says that they sacrifice and make vows. Now they're in the clear, the storm has passed, the danger is gone, but they sacrifice and make vows. There's no more ifs to be made. They gave themselves entirely, unconditionally to God. See, when we look at the cross, we see that Jesus gave himself entirely, unconditionally for us. There were no ifs for Jesus. And when you see that, you let go of your ifs and you follow him. Not to get anything because he's already giving, given you everything that you need. Have I told you this? I may have told you this story before, at least some of you who are listening. You know, it's common in smaller cities to have all the ministers in those cities work as volunteer chaplains in the local hospital. So you get a pager and when you're on call, uh, you be prepared to go to the hospital and it goes off and off you go. Well, I heard a story once of a chaplain who was called to the hospital late at night to pray with a man who just learned that his illness was terminal. And when he gets there, the guy says quite sheepishly, he, he says, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry. I don't need you anymore. I discovered that they gave me the wrong x-ray. I'm, I'm not actually really dying. I'm, and I'm not very religious, so I don't really need you anymore. Friends, that story is played out over and over again all the time in all different kinds of contexts. Don't let it be your story this Christmas. Don't, don't let that be your story. Here's, here's what you should do. This is what I'm encouraging you to do. This is what I'm going to do because I don't want that to be my story. This Christmas, I'm not going to just sing Christmas carols. I'm going to think about them. I'm going to think about what they say and about what they mean. Because you see, when, when the, the gospel story sinks into you, you sacrifice and make vows not out of fear but out of love. Just like when a man falls deeply in love with a woman or a woman falls deeply in love with a man, you make vows to them. And I'm not just talking about wedding vows. I'm just talking about even in the, in the throes of lovemaking, you, you, you say, I'm yours forever. You are mine and mine entirely. You, you make these vows because of love, because of adoration, because of devotion. And you know, Christmas carols have some pretty profound lyrics that can lead you into that place. One of my favorites are the lyrics from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Remember how it goes? Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the newborn King, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, with the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. 
Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that we no more may die. Born to raise us from the earth. Born to give us second birth. Friends, I wish you a most blessed Christmas as you reflect again and meditate again on the wonder of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our friend. Give yourself entirely to him because he gave himself entirely to you. We'll see you again in 2021. Take care.